Hi, and welcome once again to From the Center, a podcast by the Center for Western Studies. I'm your host, Jack Val, on faculty with the Center for Western Studies, joined as always by my uh, colleague and friend, uh, the director for the Center of Western Studies, John Hodges. Sir, how are you doing again? I'm doing great, thanks. Doing just fine. I'm looking forward to a discussion today with you. Nice. Uh, we have been talking about this Paris statement for the last couple of weeks. Uh, I think it'd be good for us to to uh, wrap it up and get on to some other things, but maybe there's one more thing we need to talk about. I think you were kind of concerned about uh, one of the elements at the very end of it, maybe one of the conclusions that they're drawing. Why don't you lay that out for us and we can unpack it. Sure. Uh, so the last parts of the Paris Statement were the most interesting to me, the last uh, sections or so. And it says, uh, for Europe's younger generations, uh, reality is far less guilt with, uh, guilt with gold. I think the previous sections talked about how the false Europe is making such great things, but it's not. Uh, libertine mm -hmm. hedonism often leads to boredom and a profound sense of purposelessness. The bond of marriage has weakened. In the roiling sea of sexual liberty, the deep desires of our young people to marry and form families are often frustrated. Mm -hmm. And here's the sentence. A liberty that frustrates our heart's deepest longings becomes a curse. Very interesting. And there's something connected. To that. It's uh, something I've mentioned else before, sort of traditional idea of um, freedom, which our founding fathers knew. I mean, when they talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, their, their idea of liberty was read through the lens of, like, Aristotle and Cicero and other things, That's classical right. thought, That's right. that understood that liberty is only possible for virtuous people. I think, I think you may have said it elsewhere or someone else said it, that James Madison basically said that America only works for religious people. Right. The Constitution itself wasn't going to hold people from, wasn't going to hold the country together if we lost our virtue first. Right. And right. so. I'm misquoting it, it, but that's the kind of idea. And so I, I remember I, I looked at that and, like, you know, a liberty like that is just a curse. I was like, yes, because I was thinking all that, like, liberty is tied to morality. Right. Right. And I also know that in order to really inculcate morality, you have to have a moral culture. That's what we talk about. We, we say, we've argued plenty of times that the government makes laws, but laws cannot make you virtuous. Therefore, that's not its job. Okay, mm -hmm. A law can simply tell you if you cross this line, this is the punishment you'll get. But people cross those lines all the time. Right. All right, that's it. Right. And in an American system, they're there to secure your rights and make sure they don't get violated. But that's about it. They can't make you virtuous with those rights. You know, they'll say your pursuit of happiness is secured, but, you know, if your happiness means pursuing something that damns your soul, that's not really the government's purview. That's right. not really their whole, that's all, really their whole game. Yeah. Uh, if you're, you're, they'll secure your liberty, but if your liberty leads you to, like, a destructive lifestyle for yourself, but it really doesn't hurt anyone or damage the economy or break any laws, then... Oh, well, it's like if that's not what it's they your do. Choice. That's part of part of freedom. Let me just insert one thought about liberty, too, as you're talking about it, that li liberty. You're right in saying that liberty is uh, connected directly to the virtue of the people because. But there's a reason for that. There's it's that it's that the definition of liberty actually includes the notion that you can't that that you're not free if you can't do the good. Right. That's, I think that's looking at it. You were looking at it kind of from the from the Christian perspective, the moral perspective, from God's view. From looking at it from the government's perspective, you know, what can I do as a government person, as a, a lawmaker, as a judge? I can't make you good with my laws, like you say. But, but, but if you have the idea that freedom is this notion that you can do anything you like at at all. 
then you, uh, then yes, the law has to step in and kind of limit you and say, well, you can do anything you like except if you cross these lines, like murder or something. Uh, that's 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 right. But deeper than that is this notion that that liberty actually isn't autonomy because you feel like, well, if I can't murder, well, then I'm not free. Right. <laughs> but that's not the way it is, right? If you are if you are forced to murder, then you're not free. If you're, if you are, if the law allows you to be uh, good, to do the good in whatever situation it is, could be as bad as murder or, or not, but it could be just, you know, um, I was talking to a doctor yesterday and he said, um, th- there's a situation in the healthcare deal where if you go to one person, you can get the MRI for $250, but the rules of the hospital say that you have to go to the hospital MRI, which costs $3,000. And so, so as a person working within that system, he has forced to send people to this $3,000 MRI when they could spend 250 at the minor medical clinic or whatever down mm. the street, see? And, and my point is, that law then is limiting people's freedom. Yes. Because it's limiting the doctor from being able to send the person to the to the cheaper, just as good but cheaper version. It's, yeah, it's so right. it's it's a it's a matter of uh, being free to do the good. If you're not free to do the good, then you're in shackles. Right. Somehow. It's like it's it's an old understanding that vice widespread creates a kind of tyranny. Maybe it doesn't create. Right. It maybe it doesn't create the tyranny of somebody stepping in and trying to control the chaos, but it creates the tyranny of chaos. Yeah, if that, if that right. makes sense, right? Like, so my my example, you know, you think you have examples? Check out my example. You got an example? example. So, like a day or so Slay ago, it on me. Uh, a day or so ago, and this this is definitely this is definitely not to brag. This was just so weird and interesting. So I was going to Walmart, and as I was pulling up to the light uh, to go to the store, um, there was a panhandler kind of guy there. Had like, mm-hmm. but he had he, he wasn't just holding a cardboard sign. He had like a big cardboard placard that he hung around his neck like a sandwich board oh, yeah. and i was like ah this guy is like because you don't know what to do with them or like to trust them or whatever and you know they say god bless need anything and then they'll go to their you know mercedes bins around the corner and go home and i was just like okay whatever well he turned around i saw his sign and his sign said he was like a homeless vet and all that stuff at the bottom he says need listerine and gain detergent not money not work those two specific things wow and I looked at that and I was like, I can do that. So yeah. I like I went into the store and I got what I was doing. I got like, you know, a, a, little, a little bottle of Listerine, Listerine or a little bottle of Gain. And I was like, okay, if he's out there, I'll give it to him. If not, I'll just, you know, go back to the store and get my money back. Well, he was there and I gave it to him and he said exactly what I needed. And that was it. And I was like, wow. How about that? And I'm thinking about that. And I'm like, if I was in a lawless society, it was chaotic. No, like it's Mad Max. That's like the best yeah, description, yeah. like a lawless society. It's right, like unless right. you're in like the Citadel or Gas Town, where it's a different kind of tyranny. Outside of it, it's just lawless. You know, you go out there and the buzzards will attack you with their yeah. buzzsaw cars. Yikes! In that environment, it's really hard to be virtuous like that. If I was driving up in a lawless thing, I saw some guy standing on the corner. I'm not lowering my window down, right? And I'm right. not spending my money or whatever my resources are to help him because I need them for me to protect me and to survive and stuff like that. So in a lawless environment, because it unleashes chaos, it actually limits your options. Right. And this is, this is the reason that uh, Christians are against the Roe versus Wade argument, certainly, against, uh, against legalizing uh, abortion. Uh, however, 
we don't have to uh, we don't have to sort of rise up against our government and say no in a sense because the law as it's written doesn't require us to have abortions it just See what I mean? It just says it's just, allowable. It's, it's allowable. If it's allowable, I can I can at least continue without uh, a problem with my conscience living under that law, because I don't have to do it. But it would limit my it would it would limit my liberty if I if I had to. There's even a video game that deals with that same idea. It's called This War of Mine. And I won't go too far into it, but basically it's a survival game where you're stuck in a lawless environment, a war-torn city, and you're stuck with, you suddenly realize you're stuck, you get stuck in very dicey moral situations because you have to survive and protect the people you're trying to help survive. And that may mean atrocities happen around you and there's nothing you can do about it, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. So we. Uh, it, it may sound weird to say that, like, you know, uh, you know, freedom is the freedom to do the good, and if you can't do the good, you're not really free. But it, we we know that's true. When we live in a civilized environment. You're free to go down the street and not get stuck in like a shootout all the time. If if, if you knew these city streets were like shootouts all the time, then you're not free to go down the city right. streets, at true. least not without having to do a shootout yourself. So there's this understanding that liberty is attached to virtue, not just that you have to be good in order to be free, but that real freedom allows you to be good. That's right. All right? That's right. So there is this understanding of that. Connected to all this, however, in the statement that liberty, so like libertine hedonism is bad because it leads to aimlessness. And what we need is a, what we argue is a moral culture, a culture that inculcates virtue, right, by like institutions, by like, you know, cultural institutions like the family, education, the arts, religion, all those guys, all right? And I'm still on that. I'm like, good, good, very good. Then I get to section 30. Okay. Right. This is the one that gave me pause. Pause because I didn't necessarily disagree with it, but dis- but not disagreeing with it made me concerned. Mm-hmm. Let me mm-hmm. read. I'm not going to read all of it, but I'll read most of it. All right. Uh, section 30. This is about we must restore moral culture. Not just there needs to be one, but we need to restore it. We okay. have to restore it. Section 30. Human dignity is more than the right to be left alone. Uh, Europe needs to to renew a consensus about moral culture so that the populace can be guided towards a virtuous life. We must not allow a false view of freedom to impede the prudent use of the law to deter vice. Mm -hmm. We must be forgiving of human weakness, but Europe cannot flourish without a restoration of a communal aspiration toward upright conduct and human excellence. A culture of dignity flows from decency and the discharge of the duties of our stations in life. Now, there really wasn't much that I disagreed with in that section. It just raised a troubling question that is hard for me to explain. So I bear with me, everyone, as I try to explain it. So that first sentence, human dignity is more than the right to be left alone. That's basically, and my apologies to the individual libertarians who think differently, but that's like basically the libertarian ideal, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I was listening to the Rubin Report recently, and he was talking with... Um, uh, Larry Elder, I think, is a radio guy. They both lean pretty – like Rubin, I think, is pretty much libertarian, or he says classical liberal. Yeah, he uh, is. And Elder, I think, is a conservative, but he leans libertarian. And there's a lot of younger conservatives who are conservative on certain government principles, but socially they're more libertarian. All right? uh-huh. And this basically is libertarian ideal. Like Dave Rubin said that it basically is, I don't care what you do. Do whatever you want, man. Do whatever you want. Just don't do it on my property. Don't steal my stuff. 
and don't hurt me. That's it. Mm-hmm. Basically, it is the right to be left alone. And it's on that point that I find my problem, because on the one hand, I look at that and I'm like, no, that's not that's not right. OK, like that's not how community works. OK, that's individualism. Uh, uh, if I can appropriate terminology from elsewhere, that's like toxic individualism. It's like okay. it's individualism that becomes isolated and could be excused for like nobody can tell me what to do. All right, at all, like not not just the government, but even your neighbors or your family or your you know friends or anything like that can't mm-hmm. tell you what to do. And I'm sitting there like, no, that's not right. I mean, we're part of a community, and a community, the very nature of a community, we've argued this before, is that it makes demands upon you in some mm-hmm. way. Sometimes they're like not articulated demands, or even in some sense irrational demands, because they're not something you can just justify by a syllogism. Is what I mean. You know, my. Uh, you know, if some my brother would pick on me, my older brother would pick on me. But if somebody tried, but somebody else tried to pick on me, he's like, "No, you don't mess with my brother." It's just weird. Why would he do that? There's no logical reason. It's just like we're family. You know, we're, we're, there's a bond there, and there's a demand made by that bond that's just there. And so, community works by actually us not being left alone. Mm-hmm. And moral culture definitely works by us not being left alone. Okay, by there being a institutions that inform people with a certain sort of sense of, you know, shame or a sense of, like, uh, propriety or a sense of, like, you know, taboos. You know, mm-hmm. things that aren't laws, mm-hmm. they're not enforced by laws, but it's just understood that if you do this in polite society, nobody's, you know, people are going to look askance at you and stuff like that. Well, I think it, it, it requires that we posit the value of the community to begin with. If If you don't say on the front end that community is part of what everybody needs, that it's a human need, then I can see the libertarian argument a little better because it means I just want to be left alone, you want to be left alone, everybody just get left alone, we're all individual atoms in this in the world, mm-hmm. why can't we just be left alone, make our associations as we please? Um, but I think as soon as you say that, you realize, well, but everybody wants to have some kind of associations. Yeah. So then it, then you start asking not so much do I want community or not community, but what kind of community do I want to have? And then you right. have all the problems you're talking about. Yeah, that's like, well, obviously we're going to have community. So we need to have good community, thus right. moral culture, mean? thus so on and so forth. Right. right. And the problem I run into is that I look at the libertarian sort of notion of like leave me alone i'm like no we no that's not how it works yeah. it's just yeah. on its face like you said it doesn't work we're not left alone we're not going to be left alone People, we don't even really want to be i mean right. barring the one or two hermits that have lived in the world you right. know most people want to have some kind right. of relationship even, even as Chesterton put it you know christianity had monks and thus even like hermitage became brotherly right <laughs> right became, exactly became community. right you know? that's so it's right. like there's still this communal aspect to it so I'm like, no, that's not right. I mean, you're left alone. But then here's the, here's, the, here's the part that gets cognitive dissonance in my own brain. Is yeah. that on the one hand, when it comes to like free speech, I'm really, I'm finding myself getting more and more hardline on it, saying like the government has absolutely zero right to police what you say. Uh-huh. On the other hand, like I said, I think like legitimate hate speech, not like the buzzword that gets thrown out there, but legitimate, like, hateful, malicious, denigrating speech is immoral. Mm. And that inciting to violence is immoral, and thus I want other apparatuses to try and stop that. Mm -hmm. 
there's an understanding that the I feel like the only way that works is if there already is a moral culture sort of in place, right? That there's already an understanding that, you know, everybody understands, you know, that type of speech is unacceptable. So we don't mm-hmm. need a law, mm-hmm. right? right. right. We, we, don't, we don't need, like, the government to say because we already got this buffer, which is the moral culture. And that's the nature of the internal law. If, you're, if your heart teaches you that it is wrong to speak that way, then you don't require out external laws to, to, to limit you. Right. In the same way that if you uh, all agree that if somebody's got a door that's locked, you don't go through it. You just That's acceptable. Right. But if you decide, I'm not going to stop for doors that are locked, well, then we have to start putting laws in place. We have to have something to stop you from the outside, externally. And I think that's, that's getting at the... And that's pro- the government's job. Yeah, that's the government's mm-hmm. job. I think that's getting at the heart of the problem, which I... I Still having trouble articulating, but I think I may have found the way. I think what I oh good, I, I, good. Think, I think I may have found the way. Okay. The only like you said, as long as there's a moral culture giving a context to our freedom, yeah. then we don't need the government, right? But once that moral culture kind of like evaporates, then the government has to be the limiting factor because what else is there but that force? And I become have become more and more acutely aware that in in this country, the moral culture, if it's not gone, it has drastically changed away from anything remotely Christian. Right. All right. Even if there's still like little scraps and vestiges of like a Christian generosity over here or a Christian sense of like, you know, let justice pour down like, you know, floods over here. It's all very thin and, and twisted and perverted and turned to things and, de- and detached from Christ in right. a sort of real way. Right. And now I'm stuck wondering, well, this parallel section comes up. We have to restore it. But mm-hmm. the question is how? Right. And my gut instinct is to be like, well, we need to like, you know, get back into culture. We need to argue and talk and to do art and stuff like that. But there is also this pull that culture is so hopelessly pulled towards like consumerism and materialism. It's so hopelessly saturated in it that it seems like whenever you try to stand up for a Christian principle about the the sanctity of life or the sanctity of marriage or whatever, the the tide is always against you, and there's no way way to establish a moral culture because these vices, these immoralities, are allowed to run free. And so then the question comes up of, well, well, does the law now serve a purpose? I've often wanted to, like, on our Sunday night dinner things we have here yeah. at the Center. By the way, the Center for Western Studies has Sunday night dinners to, like, cultivate your rhetorical skills and your critical thinking, please. Uh-huh. Uh, I was often thinking about asking as a question for discussion, purely, like, theoretical. Like, I don't have a stance on it exactly, but it's like, as a Christian, if there was an, you know, an, anti, you know, an anti-sodomy law, so to speak, or mm-hmm. like, they, they used to have those on the book. If an anti-sodomy yeah. law... Uh, came back up for a vote to become a law, would you vote for it or against it? Mm-hmm. And, and why? And why? Right. And the reason I'm asking that question is because we know, on the one hand, we know, because we've argued before, the government can't make you virtuous. Okay, Just because it says something's illegal doesn't suddenly mean your heart changes about that thing. You know, Murder is illegal. Murder still happens. Right. Right? Like Laws don't actually change your heart. So on right. the one hand, it's like, well, we're not going to like... You know, a, a law is not going to stop homosexual behavior, okay? Right. That's not what it is. Only the gospel and grace and stuff can, like, intervene in that in that life. We know that, therefore, setting up, like, an quote-unquote anti-sodomy law doesn't mean that homosexual behavior goes away. 
right. right? Matter of fact, it may very well go underground or something like that. So it's like, you know, no, we got we got to change the heart, and that that you know, the, by talking to them, by being community with them, by speaking and living the gospel to them. So that that's how that stuff happens. Okay, so that's the one side. But the other side is, no, no, no. Look, we're not asking the government to save their souls. We're asking the government to deter vice. Right. Because if we don't get the government to deter vice, how can we set up and maintain a moral culture? Mm-hmm. That's sort of the conundrum in my mind. Not that I'm going to vote on anti-sodomy laws. What I mean is, is that I, what is the role of government for the Christian in maintaining a moral order when the moral order has basically collapsed mm-hmm. in the Christian's mm-hmm. mind? And, it's, and can you, with that governmental act, activity, re- restore a kind of moral order? Yeah, rest- That's really what the number 30 is asking. Yeah, using, you know? like, they call it, they said the the, uh, the prudent use of law, very good right. conservative word, prudent, like mm-hmm. a very cautious wise application of law to somehow deter vice so that maybe it's the idea of like not we're going to make you virtuous but we use the law to give virtue some breathing room Uh like like Uh we can argue it more or more effectively or something like that and i don't think laws can change consumerism or materialism but i also i don't know i feel like consumerism materialism breed such vice and breed it so ubiquitously that it saturates culture in all kinds of ways that sometimes it feels like arguments against them from a Christian point of view can get no say. Like it just, they just can't get any purchase in people's lives unless the person crashes and burns. And so the conundrum I'm stuck is, is I'm actually stuck between an American instinct that the government should, should as much as possible stay out of our business unless some, the government should mm-hmm. stay out of our business. Mm-hmm. The government is... If it's part of the community, its job is basically like the most prudent of referees. Uh, but the government's there of our business. I'm caught between the American instinct of the government being out of our business and the Christian instinct that virtue cannot flourish in a culture of vice. Mm-hmm. It, 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 just, it just can't. It can be preserved and protected, but for it to flourish, it needs sort of breathing room in order to do that. And how do you acquire that breathing room? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well... On the one hand, I'm like, if an anti-sodomy law came on the books, I probably, I don't know if I would be for signing it or not, because I'm like, what would this accomplish? You know, mm-hmm. other than marginalizing and driving people away, and even if they, they found out the vast majority of Christians did it, maybe that does damage to the gospel, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's not going to actually affect anything. But at the same that time... That would be the libertarian approach. That would be the libertarian approach. At the right. same time, if I'm in, like, a culture where it's a certain immoral behavior from, my, from you know, my Christian worldview of this particular immoral behavior is just completely sacrosanct with how everyone else thinks, do, don't I believe that that's a vice that's going to lead to the denigration of culture and ought not I to fight it? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. what else can I fight it with? Can I use the law to fight, or should I use the law to fight? Right. That's that's the catch. Gotcha. If if it was simply a matter of like, what's the government's role in maintaining like a moral culture? My immediate response would be well, very limited, if at all, like because mm-hmm. that's not really what it could do. But it's more like, what's the government's role when the moral order is from? I say I keep saying from my perspective, but I mean from what I believe, I believe is the truth. There's a true, true morality. We've turned from it. It's going to. Don't I believe it's going to cause the society to collapse and degrade? And don't I want to stop that? And don't I want some way to stop? I mean, this is. I can almost feel now. I'm getting. I used to be mad at them. Now I'm getting even more sympathy with like the moral majority Christian coalition guys. Oh yeah. I I really disagree with the way they did it, but I I still do. 
but I'm starting to understand why they would look at a culture where the sexual revolution had exploded everywhere and Hollywood exploded the way it did with sure. all that stuff. And it seemed like moral culture was just completely collapsing around them. Mm-hmm. And their response was not, let's have more art, more discussion, more community. Their response is presidents, legislation, yeah. political power. Sure. And sure. I understand that pull. And I guess my conundrum is, is I don't, I don't like that pull. I don't agree with it. I still don't agree with it. But I'm finding it really hard to argue against it, which doesn't mean that now I agree with it. It just means that I kind of just stand sort of dumb before it and say, look, we need to inculcate a virtuous order. And that's it. Like I said, we need to we need to restore moral culture. We need to inculcate virtuous life. But say, well, then uh, well, then vote for these laws that like make abortion illegal. Isn't that a vice and immorality? Well, yeah, yeah, vote for these laws against gossip. Not that there's yeah. a law, there's gossip. Yeah. It's like, yeah. oh, but I mean, freedom, uh, of speech, you... if freedom of speech destroys moral culture, is it good? Like, you see how it can go? Sure, sure. And sure. I want some way to respond to that, and I just don't know how. I think, yeah, I, I hear you. What I hear you saying is, I, I don't want tyranny. I don't want an absolute government to dictate everything to us. I want freedom. Even if it but was on the a government other... friendly to Christian worldview. Exactly. Line, exactly. But, right. You want people to be free. Freedom, freedom requires that you be able to choose the wrong thing. Yeah. So if, if the government steps in and requires you to be good, well then huh, you're not free, even though you're being allowed to do the good. And yet on the other end of the spectrum, you know that freedom is the ability to do the good. And so if the government steps in and says you can't do certain things that you know are bad things to do, there isn't any restriction on you, in a sense, you see. Now, we have to have to pour this, – this is a very complicated question, it yeah. seems to me. Yeah. Um, part, part of it is the definition of what the role of government is. Um, and so, for example, you mentioned uh, you mentioned gossip just a minute ago. You, uh, you imagine a law uh, that's up up for uh, debate uh, on on a, an anti sodomy law on one hand, and on the other hand, a gossip law. Well, both of those, the Christian would say, both of those are actually sinful activities, right? Uh, in fact, in the New Testament, it seems to me that neither of them is more sinful than the other. Sure, which is kind of shocking to i think most people but not not so not to the new testament right. uh they're in the same list with people who gossip and people who who uh commit uh, homosexual uh sin are actually both equally guilty before god well that's hard to imagine then why is it that some people would think it would be a good thing to stand against a, a sodomy, to so have a, an anti-sodomy law, and not a good thing to stand against gossip that, with law, that is to have an anti-gossip law? So <clears throat> figuring out why those two things are different is going to be helpful. That's one aspect of it. Um, well, we might want to dive in there now before we get to the other aspects of it. Sure. The What's what is the what is the job of the government to what is its job to accomplish? It's not as we've said not to make people good, but it is to protect the rights of the people that are given by God. God has given us certain rights: life, liberty, so on. Um, uh, even property. Locke would, John Locke would say God has given us the right to property, not property, but the right to property. Mm-hmm. Right. So. In those things, since those are things that God has given us, the government, a good government, would be one that restricts another person's ability to take those things away from you. Okay, why? 
because that's the function of the law. The law is to resist and slow down, deter uh, vice, not to make good. So it's a negative work that the government does. But there's also another kind of limitation to the government, and that is that it's there for the purpose of securing the community. Well, you can see how if homosexual activity became the norm, Mm -hmm. it would actually have a very specific uh, result in the community. Fewer births, for example. You can't you can't have children through homosexual activity. Right, not reproductively, anyway. Right. You can't. Well, yeah, you can adopt kids, but someone has to have those kids. Right. right? There's only one way you can have them. Right. So there's only there's one use for sexual activity right. without being too graphic about it all. Right. That is for the purposes of the community, right? Because right? yeah, it builds yeah. the next generation. And even test tube, it still needs male and female. That's right. The <laughs> right. test tube doesn't change the fact that you need a male and a female. Right. It's just built into the biology of the world. Well, if we if we try to tinker with that, in other words, if we tinker with marriage or with sexual behavior, uh, it, to, to such a degree that we no longer have much in the way of male and female uh, reproduction, well, then it has a definite effect on the on the community, right? Mm-hmm. It means that the next generation is going to be affected. Same thing with an abortion law. If if you are required, like it's, I understand, in uh, at least up until recently in China, you were only allowed to have one child. Yeah. So so abortion was actually required of you, right. or at least. Uh, infanticide once the baby's born, right? right? Or, or, or putting up for adoption. That's one of the reasons that so many uh, Chinese girls uh, are being offered for adoption. Because if you can only have one child in your family, most people wanted to have a boy. Well, that's because they can pass on the name of their family. I don't know what all the reasons, but at any rate, for whatever reason, if you have a girl first, well, then you want to put her up for adoption or a border because. I want a boy if I'm going to have one, see. So there were a lot of girls that were actually being destroyed. Well, um, that's a law by the government that influences the next generation and makes it impossible for you to do the good. You can't, you have to murder your child or you have to at least give her away. Okay, well, the abortion law in the United States is not that far, right? We we say uh, you can't. Uh, limit the access of abortion. That's what our laws say. I'm not a, for it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not for it. I'm just trying to talk about the difference between the two laws. Mm. One is saying you must do the evil. The other one is saying you can do the evil. Mm. And I think Christians then can live under the second without fear of uh, going against their consciences since they're not doing it. They're not forced to do it. But the ones in China are being forced. So they're in less liberty. So the government actually has this job to sort of provide for the community. And if the community includes the unborn generations in the future, then anti-sodomy laws can be argued from that perspective. Not so much just the perspective that it's sinful activity, but that it's, that, it, that, that particular sinful activity has an effect on the next generations. Mm. You could argue that, that gossip is, uh, is something that affects the community too, sure. Mm. Uh, so what we have instead of gossip laws are anti-gossip laws is we have anti-slander laws so that in public you can't make a public statement in, pre- in print or in, in uh, orally that, that damages the reputation of another person without repercussions because that does have an effect on the community. 
If people do it behind closed doors, you can't nail it down uh, and all that. But but if you do it publicly, at least there's a uh, there's a, a, a threshold of of uh, limiting that sin. Right. It's a sin either way, right? right? So in a weird way, we do have anti-gossip laws. In it's a weird just, way, we do. It's just relegated to the public sphere. That's it. And so, and so the government has a responsibility to the public sphere, I think. Mm-hmm. And so the question of public sphere influence is going to be attached to every question of, of law. Uh, if a law comes up, we ask the question, do we think that this is uh, important enough to limit in order to to protect the public sphere. And if it is, well, then maybe we'd consider it. Mm. Then, so in the, in the case of the anti-sodomy uh, law, the culture has said, we don't believe that homosexual activity is actually damaging mm. to the culture, uh, to the sp- civic uh, sphere, see? And so then it's only a question of, should we allow as much freedom as possible? And that's, I think, one of their arguments that's made it possible for all the anti-sodomy laws to be either ignored or uh, or repealed. Right. See that. So that's the thing. Is like if the culture changes and says, "Well, you know, this behavior is actually not destructive to the community," mm-hmm. and they give arg- they can give arguments. They can say, like, "Well, if we let them marry, if we if we let these people marry, they create solid, stable units instead of this culture of like." Uh, we, we we take it we take it from a culture of like lasciviousness and stuff like that and turn it into like marriages can happen now they can have concrete relations that's more stable uh, okay they can't have kids but they can adopt and as you've argued there's lots of Chinese girls that need adopted yes, so exactly. like, so they actually aren't affecting the next generation sort of because there will be a next generation and so on and so forth so it's like well maybe we don't need this because it's not destructive to the community anymore that's where that's where like. <sighs> To me, that's where, like, the trouble comes in, and especially, like, the gossip thing with, like, the public and the private thing. Because it's like, mm-hmm. well, public slander can destroy the community. Yes. Private slander can destroy the community as yes, well. Yes, sure. And it's like, well, that's hard. It's like, it is harder to nail down. But I'm trying to conceive of if we were in a situation where gossip was, and it's probably a good example because it just sounds so ridiculous. But if, like, gossip was so, well, maybe it's not so ridiculous. If gossip was so rampant in a private sector. Yeah. That families were falling apart, businesses couldn't stabilize. It just was so horrifyingly awful. And a Christian was looking at this and seeing this sin wreck havoc. Mm-hmm. All right, mm-hmm. then wouldn't they want the government? Wouldn't they want a law that says no? Even in private, it's illegal. Mm-hmm. Like it's illegal. The mm-hmm. reason I'm saying that is that for the Christian, which I am, homosexuality is not just a oh it inconveniences the next uh, you know the public sphere in some way. It's not just that. Oh, it uh, means we won't have children, you know, for the next right. generation, because that's not right. necessarily true. Right. The reason it's wrong is because it's sinful, right. and because it's sinful, it, regardless of whether it still has kids or what, all that other stuff, it's going to a damage that person's soul more, right. and b it's going to damage society in ways that are complex and whatever. But it's going to damage that. It's going to turn a society over more over to. It, see that's where it gets hard to explain because like you just know you know I can I can do what I want as long as it's like not damaging the public sphere is not how holiness works right well, I, but we're conflating the two things again the 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 point is that the government's job is not to make you good the government's job is to keep you from damaging the community. That that by no means ex- exhausts the uh, the the uh, 
uh, effect of sin in the community. Uh-huh. You see, you can't, in other words, with the government as a tool, you can't, how do you say it any other way? You, you can't make people do right. But what you can do is say these things are so dangerous for the community that we're going to outlaw them at this level. That, that, but, but to not outlaw them, this is my point, to, out, to not outlaw a certain sin is not to say that that sin is now acceptable, which is the, which is the, people, the thing people make a mistake about, about the abortion deal. Once the government has said that it's okay to have an abortion, it must not be immoral. Uh-huh. That's not true. Right. It's still immoral. Before God, it's immoral. However, the government and the the, the if you if you painted a, a you know drew a, a Venn diagram, the circle of the government is far smaller than the circle of life altogether. Right. Okay, it right. only covers a certain aspect of life, and that is that communal interaction of people who give, making a making a space for people to have interactions. It doesn't say the gov- the government is never going to be able to bring the whole culture to a point of being. Uh, good. It can't happen. It won't happen. I think that's it's like I agree with all of that and there's something in my mind that's like there is something where it gets there's some area where the two boundaries of like government and the rest of life or government and culture touch and it blurs and yes, starts they to overlap blur. a little. Sure. A lot. In my, in my, as a Christian don't I believe Every sin is destructive to a culture and society. That that it is that that, that that you know gossip you know just you know murder and stuff, but gossip, lying, you know anything you know not just homosexual papers, but heterosexual you know outside of marriage, all sure, that stuff, sex, sure. all premarital sex, sex, all that, all right. sexual sin is sin, and therefore it's all destructive to a society and. Gossip, all sin is destructive to a society in some way. Ultimately, it may not be immediate. It may not all blow up. It may just be like a, as Cormac McCarthy called, the dismal tide that just mm-hmm. kind of you know, eats mm-hmm. it away slowly. But don't I believe, as a Christian, if I take sin seriously, don't I believe, you know, in Dante as fashion, because it all goes back to Dante. <laughs> in Dante as fashion, you get to the right. bottom of like, by the time you get to the bottom of the eighth circle, definitely, you see. That sin completely destroys all community, like yeah. it just annihilates it in the end. When in the final analysis, right. and then you get to the ninth circle where there is no community. There's just malice and insanity, malice and madness. And so, don't as a Christian, don't I believe all sin is in some degree? You know, there's various. Like I said, it could be immediate, it could be really slow, it could be any point in between. But don't I believe sin itself, in all its variety, is destructive to culture and community? And if I believe that, then don't I want to stop it? Mm-hmm. Well, sure. What role does the law play in trying to stop that? Because even we say, like, well, the law is supposed to, like, ensure the public good. Yes, but isn't being against sin for the public good? Like, that's that's the problem. It's uh-huh. like, yeah. I almost feel like the... I'm not sure where the definition I'm having is wrong. Whether it's like maybe like uh, the, uh, maybe it's just like an, an, impo- an unsolvable conundrum because on this side of paradise we're never gonna on this side of you know the eschaton we're never gonna under, we're never gonna solve this conundrum. Or do we have the definition of government wrong? Like it's supposed to like ensure our public good, but if it's supposed to ensure our public relations, then doesn't that mean it would have laws against all sins? Because 
don't sins damage that stuff? And mm-hmm. is, is Here, that kind of thing? As a Christian, I feel that all sin is damaging the culture and society. Right. Right. I agree. And thus, I want to stop it. And yet, when I'm in a society where, as a Christian, it feels like my sort of orthodox viewpoint is a minority, so to speak, suddenly I feel that pull towards let's get the government to fix it, which I'm like, no, that's wrong. But I'm having trouble articulating a response to those that would say it's right because I'm like, well, don't you want to stop? Don't you believe all sin is right? Well, yeah. Well, don't you want to stop it? Well, yeah. But do you think everyone's going to listen to you in this republic? Well, no, not necessarily. Okay, what happens when in our debate and discussions the immorality side wins? Yeah. Are you just going to say, well, I mean, we live in a representative republic, so I guess it's fine? But it's like, are you? I'm like, no, I can't say that. It's like. Well, I, I don't want to leave people alone, but then I, I don't want the government to do anyway. That's why I say you said it was a complex problem. That, it's it, a very it, complex. It, it is a complex problem. Part of part of, of course, is is that your desire as a Christian, and of course mine too, is for ultimate justice in the world. You know, for yes. everything to be right and good. And I think you're right. That won't happen until until Jesus comes back. So, given that, then the question is, what is it that the go- the government can do about? establishing the the protection of uh, of the of the community and you're right all sin is going to have a bad effect no sin is private sin all yeah. sins have effect on the community on the people around you and so on whether it be so, overt or subtle it has an effect that's right so let's say the good thing that we want to have happen is we want um, we want to protect life on the streets on the road Okay, and automobile accidents cause a huge number of deaths every year and injuries uh, every year. Probably far more than airplanes, far more than shark attacks, far more than you know terrorist attacks, far more than school shootings. I mean, huge number. Okay, right. so everybody realizes that and they want to do something about it. Well, you can uh, you can call up all your preacher friends and have them preach from the pulpit be careful when you drive look out for the other guy right. be moral look tr- love your neighbor enough to drive uh, in a way that is safe and not too close to other people or too uh, recklessly and so on right? right you could do that you know an appeal to their their conscience their an appeal to their love of their neighbor and so on uh, but some people would say either i'm not a christian i never get to hear that or i don't think it works I think we need government intervention, right? Mm-hmm. Well, there, okay, let's see what the government could do. The government can't step in and say everybody has got to do the right thing on the road. That is to, to care for their neighbor and to look after that. That's, I'm going to make a rule of that. And if you break that rule, you're going to jail. Mm-hmm. What they can say, though, is um, if you drive recklessly, uh, then you can go to jail. Because remember, the, the, the government's ultimately the only power the government has is of the gun. That's really what they do. They say, yeah. you, you do this or you go to jail, and if you resist going to jail, we'll shoot you. Yeah, that's part of the I'm being a little. I know, but that's part know. of the problem I'm having is I know that that's. That's 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 not, what's that, a, that's not good enough. It can't work. That, that's not, not how that works. But what they, but what can they do? They can do something. They can set the speed limit at fifty five. That's what they can do. And they think they've done the studies. They've, they've thought it through. They've done, you know, thought it through. They, they say if everybody at, in this stretch of road goes goes fifty five miles an hour, then 
people will be safe. That's uh, We can't guarantee that nobody will just swerve into somebody else and do something dumb. But if ever, but generally speaking, if you do 55, you reduce the risk of injury and death by such and such amount. Okay, the government then can put a sign up that says 55 miles an hour. And if we overblow that, if you go past that, well, then you can get a ticket and there's a, there's a, a legal uh, uh, ramification mm-hmm. consequence for it. Uh, and that's, and, but that's, but putting up a sign that says 55 miles an hour is actually not accomplishing the thing that everybody longs to be accomplished. Mm-hmm. It's only going a certain step in that direction because that's all that the law can do. It's, it, it can't accomplish, it can't accomplish goodwill in, in hearts. It can only say, if you do this, it'll be safer. We're, we're going to lay out this law, this limit for you, you know. And I think that's how laws work. Sure. So if, if we're like, okay, they set 55-mile-an-hour laws, like speed limit laws. Yeah. Go over it, you're punished. All right. People still break the speed limit. Right. Right. They break it. Wrecks still happen. People are right. like, you know, this is not a – you know, it's, it's cut down on fatalities, but every fatality is damaging. Right. It's very damaging. Right. So here, here how about this? Speed limit law is not good enough. Let's make another law that says car manufacturers are not allowed to create any cars that can go faster than 50. Mm-hmm. Like they build the engines so that there's no way for you to go higher, faster than 50. It taps out there. Mm-hmm. There. Now now you don't even have the ability to go over 55 miles an hour anywhere. Right. And the question is, someone would have like, well, what's wrong with that? Is that good? Is that is that good? Now, right. we, now we probably will drastically decrease it. Because now you can't even break the speed limit. Mm-hmm. We said we make make all the cars incapable of going over fifty, and you set the highest speed limit possible is fifty. Boom. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that, isn't so that, that so that eliminates the possibility of breaking the law. Right. It's like it's and you can't. We're not cars, so it doesn't. It's not perfectly analogous. But I can see this goal of like we want to eliminate fatalities on the road. And why can't we use this government thing to do it? It's like, well, government can't make people good. So we're not trying to make them good. We're trying to save their lives. Okay. Well, yeah, the the analogy falls down a little bit. I'm just thinking about there's a good thing that we want to accomplish, which is to save lives in this case. Uh, And we want to we decide to do that by setting a speed limit. But the but the problem with setting limits on how you build your cars is that it's not a, a choice any longer. You, you, for freedom to be a, a, a meaningful word, you have to be free to not do it. Hmm. And so what this is going to do is say, I think that the saving of lives to the extent that a 50-mile-an-hour speed limit would save them, because it's not perfect, right? You could still hit somebody going 50 miles an hour and kill them. Yeah. So 50 miles an hour by, in and of itself doesn't accomplish the good. Yeah. I mean, at least the perfection of the good. Yeah, yeah. I was about to say it just goes in the direction. If we push it hard enough, he's like, well, you know, according to science and physics, like five miles an hour is about that's that that's under the fatality range. So now we're going to make a law where cars can't go higher than five miles. Well, at that point, you might as well just start walking. Exactly. You can walk faster (laughs) than five miles an hour. Like no, no one would have cars. We just have bicycles. That's right. And then we would have bicycle laws. (laughs) 
and then we'd have bicycle laws. Like the like you, we, the people say, well, there are shootings in, in America. We should limit guns. And in uh, England, they have done that to a great degree. But then they had all these stabbings. And so the mayor of London said, well, we're going to have to eliminate knives, outlaw knives. And then, of course, some wag said, well, there have been stranglings, too. Are you going to eliminate hands? Right. <laughs> but that's how the law works. You can't actually do the thing yeah. that you want to do by way of the law. Yeah. You have to find another way to do it. You can only have reasonable law. That doesn't limit the uh, the freedoms of the people. If you make a man, if you t- tell the manufacturers you can't make a car that goes over fifty miles an hour, that's limiting their freedom in the marketplace, and it's also limiting your freedom to buy a car that goes faster than that. Yeah. Uh, and so there are all sorts of freedoms that are being limited like right. that. And there are consequences to that. Like if a car manufacturer can't make cars that go over 50, then how are they going to be competitive in the global car market or something like that? Yeah, fair enough. Uh, or better, better, even in this country, we there may be stretches of road that are built to go 70 on, and there are, of course. So, so then we've actually eliminated the ability of the car to do some of the things that it can do. It's it's um, it's the wrong attitude. It's yeah. it, it, it in my I mean I think I used the speed bump analogy before, but down the street here they d- decided to put a speed bump in the middle of the street, mm. and it was obviously because somebody in the neighborhood said people are driving by here too fast. Well, probably less than five percent of the drivers that go by there are driving too fast. Right. So ninety five percent now have to put up with a speed bump that's very hard on their cars. Mm. In order to keep the five percent from doing any damage, possibly, right? It just gets out of hand. It's yeah. like, well, we're only going to make cars that go five miles an hour. I suppose the thing that's causing the conundrum that's bugging me is it really is. It maybe it's starting to. I'm I'm butting up against something I've said before, but I've only said it in regards to the government. Okay, and that is that we cannot save ourselves. Ah, yeah. Right, we can't. Right, and I would look at the government and say, like, ah, government intervention, it doesn't work because we can't save ourselves with your laws and legislation. But now I, ha- I feel like it now back in my own sphere of like moral culture, we have to build it up with you know conversation, the arts, and stuff like that. And it's like realizing that that's not good enough either. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not. It's it's probably the better thing to do given our options, but that that can't save anything either. It, it just can't. Not to sound too oversimplistic in, in my you know fundamentalist Baptist heritage, but it really seems like really there is only one Savior. Yeah. You know, Jesus is the only one. He's going to come in and rule the governments, rule all that stuff, like the the eschaton, right? That he's going to do it. In the meantime, I guess I'm starting to realize in my really frustrated, youthful, let's do something significant way, that there are no winning options. They're all losing options. Mm -hmm. All right? Going the government from the outside, I think you're right. Right from the from the change of heart that Jesus gives us in the new birth, right. I think that's the only option. Right. Yeah. That's the thing. Is like there is like the salvation, the new birth, but it seems not. But in addition to that, even if like souls get saved, cultures are going to degrade. They're going to corrupt. Governments are going to go out of control, or they're not going to be able to address everything. It's like every option is in some way a losing option, even if it's like right. It's almost like a Nordic kind of thing. It's like culture is going to, moral culture is going to collapse and it's going to fall apart because that's just what happens. That's what happens to societies. It may happen quickly. It may take centuries for it to happen. That's just what happens. That doesn't mean trying to shore it up or preserve it is bad. As a matter of fact, it's very good because the thing is good. But don't kid yourself to believe that somehow you shoring it up is somehow going to save the day. I think that's right. 
because it, because it may not. I think that's what I'm running into is this realization. Maybe that, that I'm just this was not pre-scripted. I swear, audience. No, this yeah. is like in the midst of this, just realizing maybe my problem is that I still have in there this little sense of like unconscious unspoken sense of we can save the day like uh-huh. we can do it we uh-huh. aren't we supposed to save the culture save the country somehow and it's like no yeah no yeah. i mean you can't it's, it's like you just can't the, the the christian looks at it and says the job as you know well no i'm not saying anything you don't know mm-hmm. um the, the christian looks at it and says uh my job is to be faithful in the midst of this yeah that's a different that's a different goal than to say my job is to fix all the problems. Yeah. You can't fix all the problems. And and the the law has its limitations as we've spelt out. Um preaching or cultural things have their limitations too. Yeah. Books and music and and art and so on and debates and all those things. Right. But the only real change that happens in the culture is when there's a change in the beliefs. Yeah. So if you can, through the culture, actually, I mean, through, like, through the books and the discussions and the debates and so on, the, uh, if, if, if you can interact in such a way and preach uh, to, uh, to change the hearts of people, then those people gathering together and finding common faith together are able to adjust the culture, affect the culture, and create the space that you're talking about that you want that makes it possible for uh, certain laws to be put on the books. But the laws on the books are, in a sense, the fruit of that culture, not the means by which you can adjust the culture. It has a retroactive help. I I don't mean it doesn't. Uh, Once they're established, uh, the combination of the fact that everybody believes and uh, the laws uh, outline that belief uh, makes for a very healthy community. It's, yeah, it's true. It's like I realize that I believe all that, and in addition to that, I'm recognizing that there's no guarantee. Well, that, there's, that's there's right. No, we're that's de- right. definitely the like way of like culture and beliefs and stuff is way more effective and way more on the heart of things than like laws and stuff like that and politics, which is still important. But it's like this is like more fundamental, the more trunk of the tree and stuff like that, and so. If you really want to change things, be here. But there's no guarantee you're going to win. Right. Right. That, that, right. And that's sort of the thing. It's well, like there's no the, guarantee you're going to win. The only guarantee is that Jesus actually came out of the grave. Yeah. And that's the guarantee. Right. And then that he's promised that he's coming back. Right. That's it. And you're, so you're right when you say, you know, I'm beginning to see that being a Christian is the, is the answer. You know, that he himself is the truth. And we, in our faithfulness to him, are the ways to get uh, what we want accomplished. Yeah. That it seems, I think, to the world uh, and to a lot of Christians that it's uh, a very um, frustrating uh, course to take. Yeah. You know what I mean? You, we want we we look at things in the world, we see the injustice in the world, and we think we should be able to clean that up, right? By yeah. making a law and passing, the, getting the right person in office, right. or, or, passing, sh- or shouldn't we or, ought to want to clean it up? Again? Right. Right. And well, that's the here's the that's the trick because it sounds like if you're not for the law, you're not in favor of cleaning it up. But that's not true. Right. So. When you when I when I want to clean something up, the question is which tool do I use, and the tool may not be the one that looks like it would happen the fastest. Right. That's all. Or even if you pick what would be the better tool, it may still be inadequate to the job. Well, in the end, it is. But short term, you're right. Yeah. And when I say short term, I mean within the next thousand years. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I can see. I could see. I guess I could see it now. That the problem is like. 
I mean, within the question itself of like, well, don't you believe that all sin is destructive to culture? Well, yeah. Well, don't you want to do something about that? Well, yeah. Yeah, but I can't. Not really. I mean, not or, u- not ultimately. I mean, there's things I can live. What can I do? Like, what can I do? And what can I do feels extremely limited. Yeah. Well, and, and you hear it all the time. You hear, hear somebody say, well, I guess all we can do is pray. <laughs> right? Right, 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 like right. I've tried everything else. <laughs> guess I'll, guess, guess, guess I'll go left. to the backup option. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> we can pray, and still God will say no. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We can pray. We could pray for our country to become moral, and God and God say, might say no. No, it might say no because He's not in the business of sustaining a country. Yeah. You know, countries rise and fall. Uh, and I love my country. I don't want yeah, to see yeah, it yeah. fall. But I'm just saying that's not ultimately his his responsibility or his even his vision. Right. And it's good for the world to see that God is as glorious as he is. That's right and good and just. Mm-hmm. So I mean, a- I, I'm interested if we go back to your number 30 and read it again, mm-hmm. if you can see that in that context, or is it still is there still a problem well, in if, there that we if, haven't if, really if, addressed? If, if, well, Remind me of if that. If there's still a problem, we may have addressed it, but the problem addressed in the sense as we may have pointed out a problem uh-huh. right there. Right. So let me read it again. Uh, section 30: Human dignity is more than the right to be left alone because uh, a culture of dignity flows from decency. Right, okay, I think we agree with that, yeah, I think right? We agree with that, yeah. Libertarianism is good, but it's not good enough. Right, we need that, mor- we need a that moral, moral order. culture. That's right. right. So agree with That's that. Right. Europe needs to renew a consensus about moral culture so that the populace can be guided to a virtuous life. There needs to be an active renewal of the moral culture. I wonder if that's not to be understood in the context of some of the earlier paragraphs that say we need to renew a Christian sense of morality. I, I think fair? it is, but it's this next line. It's okay. the, we must not allow a false view of freedom to impede the prudent use of the law okay. to okay. deter vice. Well, if a false view of freedom were to say we need to be autonomous creatures, then I'd agree with them completely. Hmm. The false view of freedom is, is autonomy as, as the definition of freedom is not right. We need a prudent use of the law in other words, where to draw the fence around uh, our common community uh, and where not to. So to allow right freedom but not autonomous freedom. Right. I guess it is. You think that's what they're talking about? Well, it, that's the, I don't know because they don't really unpack it like that. They say we must be forgiving of human weakness, but Europe cannot flourish without a restoration of a communal aspiration towards upright conduct and human excellence. Right? Well, that, yeah. That, putting it we that know. way makes it sound, well, putting, that's the very next sentence. Uh-huh. So the prudent use of the law in order to restore communal aspiration towards upright conduct. See, that's the problem. Mm-hmm. It sounds like they're saying... I'm not sure you can get it by the prudent use of the law. If they mean by that, we need to use the law in order to re- reestablish uh, a moral order. See, see where, see, see where, see where, like I probably got the conundrum. Yeah, sure. Because the conundrum was, I almost wanted, like, there was a part of me that wanted to agree, but I didn't like that the part of me wanted yeah. to agree because I was like, that doesn't sound right. But on the other hand, if the prudent use of the law is this idea that it draws a definition around the community so that the community can have that safety net that or that protection, and then the next line is about referring back to the need for a consensus of Christian morality, mm. well, then it might work. Then it might work. If it is, however, saying what it just 
looks like it's saying, then I would argue that this section, oddly enough, needed to be a bit more conservative in the sense that it needed uh -huh. to be more realist. Uh -huh. Like, we need prudent use of the law in deterring vice, and we need also to restore moral culture, but we need to understand that law can't ultimately, the law has very limited uses in regards to that. And even our aspiration of restoring moral culture is good and we ought to go for it, but we should never act like somehow we're going to accomplish it, especially by means of the law. Right. I, I refer back to uh, the discussion we had about R Russell Kirk's 10 principles of conservatism last time. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of them was a recognition, a kind of a humility, uh, to recognizing that we can't actually bring about the good uh, all by ourselves. Any, in any, whatever. It's kind of what you said a minute ago. Yeah. But, but think of this for a second. Tell me what you think of this. You know, we've we've got recently several people uh, in the in the sort of podcast world and the and the the, the uh, world of ideas uh, that are very conservative in many ways, but are not necessarily Christian. Yeah, we have some people I like a lot. Okay, this is not a criticism, but it, they aren't Christian. They would they would be the first to tell you they're not Christian. Right. Uh, ben Shapiro. Uh, right. Uh, Peterson, right, uh, Jordan Peterson. Right, I don't Peterson. think he has any religious affiliations. Right. Uh, it may be that Roger Scruton is one of those. Roger Scruton right. signed this. Uh, yeah, I think he's I think he's super sympathetic towards oh, All of them, I think, are. are. But I don't, think yeah. he, I don't know if he would call himself a Christian. Right. So what I'm wondering is if maybe we found the flaw or the, the, the uh, fault line, say, between uh, what th this new conservatism that's coming up it's a really a try, an attempt to revive a kind of old conservatism, right. but maybe without a Christian um, center, I guess. Belief. Because, uh, it's, yeah. it's without Christian faith on their own parts. It's not so much that they disallow Christianity as a kind of moral order. You can o see it in there. Obviously, they don't. Yeah. But what I'm thinking is maybe that's where the fault line is between those who want this sort of conservative Christian moral order and those who actually believe in the one who is the source of good and, and yeah. in the world. And maybe that maybe that's it there. It may maybe once again it's an issue where I look at it and I'm like, no, I'm more Christian than like the right. other thing. Because it's right. like, yes, I believe moral culture more is is vital to the thriving community. Yes, I believe that law can ultimately accomplish that. It's accomplished it, it the better way to attempt to accomplish it is through cultural means and the means of belief and stuff like that. But I also don't believe and ought not to believe for a second that somehow there's a guarantee that you're gonna you're gonna win. Like, yeah. like that you're yeah. gonna that you're going to will souls be saved? Sure, because Jesus said he's gonna save. You know, the people are gonna save. But are you gonna be able to save your country or your culture? There's no guarantee of that. Mm -hmm. You should do it because it's good. There's no guarantee. Right. All cities of man fade at some point. So so what part. we've got maybe is a, a culture, a pluralist culture, made up not just of people who are left-leaning sort of socialist communist uh, people who believe that the that the government is the highest authority in the world, basically, uh, and that the, all of our tinkering with that is going to make for a utopian society. We've got those guys on one hand and the Christians on the other hand. It's not quite that simple. Right. We've got it's, it's people who simple. recognize that Christian principles laid out in the government and in the way we live our communal lives are somehow good and maybe better than the left-leaning ones, but they're still not Christians themselves. And, and the ultimate good only comes about, strangely enough, by being born again. Mm -hmm. 
the only the, the real good in is, is the real conversion of heart is that ability you know that the the new heart is actually able to not sin mm-hmm. i don't say that they don't sin don't get me wrong or that they are able to stop themselves from sinning in any possible way but on occasion they are able the, the new life is 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 able to do the right thing right right and that's a that's different. That's a right, different yeah, life than right, the people right, who aren't right in the eyes of God. In God, I'm and, talking and about, and not God's, just like people. That's right. In God's sense, because yeah, the people may not think it's right at all, uh, but the ability to not sin in a particular case uh, is only available. I think. I think maybe I'm being very reformed here, but I think it's only uh, we'll possible. You. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my Catholic friends might disagree with me, but we. I'd love to have them on to talk about that because I don't think I'm saying anything different than what the Catholics would even say, but I'm certainly saying what the Reformed would say, mm-hmm. which is that uh, that under under sin, in the, with, in the old heart, we're not actually able to do the good, no matter what. And, but with an, but have, being born again with a new heart, we're somehow now able to at least do the good because it's obviously God's doing in us. Yeah, the potential, right? the, the potential to indwelling do, Holy Spirit. The potential to do the real good, because right. like in Romans, Paul, when he says like that, none do righteous, no, not one, and everyone uses that to say like all our hearts are bent towards. The rest of the verses say there are none that understand, there are none that seek after God. Right, exactly. Right, the highest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's that's the ultimate good. Right. That's what we can't do. Right. right. That's what our heart can't do. And when you get the new heart, you can finally have the ability to do that. You gotta learn how to do that. Right. That's what sanctification is. But you now have the ability to finally do that thing. They're really the highest good. It's and, amazing. And that and that and that's the thing. That's the highest good. Yeah. Following that may mean you strive to try and restore your culture and something sure. like that. But that doesn't mean your culture is going to that you're going to succeed. I mean, you may fail. You may fail. You may completely. The whole thing may collapse. But it's okay because well, you acted faithful in your love towards God. That's, that, it. that's it's the faithfulness. That, that's that's the that's point. The key. You're faithful to the God that you love and who loves you. That's right. And even if the culture collapses. It, cultures rise and fall all the time. They'll come back again. They'll come around again. In the end, everything, all good will be restored and redeemed anyway. So it's like, it's almost like you have to see how that's not the point. Right. Which I guess is hard for a young guy like me to have seen at first. Because even if I was like, yes, we can't solve problems by the government, maybe there was still some part of me that was like, maybe we can solve it by like cultural, you know, if we restore a moral culture, that would be helpful. But the more I looked at it, the more I was like, even that has... Even that has its problems. Yeah. Even that has sort of like yeah. its potentials for dead ends and stuff like that. And you just have to accept that, 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 that there's, there are higher things and that there's a real Savior who's not you. And there's a higher calling. There's a higher calling than saving your country and saving your culture. But that calling may involve you trying to do those things. That's right. That's right. And the faithfulness in doing those things that you're called to uh, is what is right, good, and just. So, apart from that, the, in other words, the the uh, the results of your faithfulness are in the hands of God. Mm-hmm. See, in the same way that if I were to go and be a missionary in some foreign field, uh, because I was called to, by God to go and do it, and I preached as He asked me to do, and I lived as though He asked me to do, and no one was converted, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be a failure. Mm-hmm. 
because it's not the results that we're, I'm being judged on. It was the faithfulness. Yeah. See? So just like the guy who had 10 talents and the guy who had five talents and the guy who had one talent, the, the 10 and five each invested their faithfully invested their right. money, right? But the guy who didn't invest at the end was not actually acting in faith. And the result was the first two guys are praised, but they're not praised because of the result. You, the guy that got 10 wasn't praised more than the guy who got five. Right. They both, they both got They were praised equally. And you can imagine that the guy who had one had done the same. He would have gotten praised. He would have been praised the same way, too. Now, there is a result to our, our thing. God gives gifts to people differently. And so if he gave you 10 talents and you invested them and you got 10 more, then you got 10 more. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. not nothing, right? right? But your praise from God was well done. That, and it's the same for the guy who only had five. And if the guy who had one had invested his and got one back, the praise would have been the same, well done. But it's but it's not unfair that he only got one back. He was only given one to begin with. Right. So in a sense, he's not being judged for not having ten, do you see? Yeah. He's being judged for not investing the one he had. That's what he's being judged right. for. So in the same way, I think when we look at the culture, we may, I think you and I both have a real hunger to help the culture to see the truth and to remind people of our of our own heritage. Uh, there are certain uh, ideas that we see floating around the world right now that are very dangerous and damaging to people and we want to, that we want to stand against and undermine. Not the people that hold them. We love the people, but we want to stand against the ideas that we know are, are not true. Um, just as the teacher might stand against two times three equals five. We just think it's a bad idea. That's not true, you see. Uh, but at the same time, our faithfulness uh, in doing this may or may not save Western civilization. I've always, yeah. my wife always makes the joke that if, unless I'm, I'm not happy unless I'm saving Western civilization. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the humor of it because we all know that no one person can save Western civilization. But I long to try and do my part in doing it, as I know you do too. So. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> That's, I think, the the way out of that. I'm interested in uh, pursuing sometime maybe the idea of what the difference is between uh, a Jordan Peterson or a, a Roger Scruton, who who himself would not necessarily claim to be a Christian, yeah. but recognizes the value of a of a Christian moral consensus. I mean, I love listening to those guys because I think they get it sometimes better than Christians do, yeah. how important those things are. Yeah. And yet at the same time, I don't think they would claim to be Christians. Right. Maybe they get it better than some Christians because they're standing outside of it. Well, it could be. And they're it could be. It and kind of seeing it for the astonishing thing that it is. Yeah, yeah. But it'd be it'd be interesting to pursue that at some point about you know what the differences are between the person who has actually given his life over to God and the person who simply stands outside of it but, re- but respects uh, it. Recommendation? There is a, yeah, I'd like to recommend a book by uh, Jonah Goldberg, talking about people who are outside the system but of Christianity, faithful mm-hmm. Christianity, but also, but also recognize the value of it. Jonah Goldberg wrote a very good book called Liberal Fascism. Mm. And because a lot of people think that there's a spectrum of political uh, uh, ideology that runs from the left at communism and socialism and all the way to the hard right, which is fascism. But Goldberg would say that fascism and communism are actually both leftist things. Mm. 
and that there's a, they are pitted, should be pitted against a more, what he would call a conservative, what we might call a paleo-conservative uh, mindset. Uh, both of them have similar, um, similar ideas about utopia. Both of them have similar ideas about how to accomplish that utopia by force. Uh, and so I think he's got an interesting point to make. And then he's made, a, a, I haven't read this book yet, but he's written a new book that I'm looking forward to reading called um, Tyranny of Clichés. Mm-hmm. Tyranny of Clichés. And uh, that ought to be good, too. I have read most of um, liberal fascism, and it's very helpful. Uh, but I'm looking forward to reading the book on Tyranny of Clichés. Mm-hmm. Well, the only... Uh recommendation I can give uh, is uh, also a book which I've started reading for my dissertation. Mm-hmm. So I have for, I won't go into the high weeds with it, but uh, I've mentioned to you before that part of my dissertation is leading me into looking into the philosophy of personalism, Yes, which is very intriguing and is interesting. And I want to encourage people, if you have heard of it or if you've never heard of it, which is more likely, you find it intriguing a good little book to start with, and it's a little book, is by a guy named Emmanuel Monnier. Uh, Emmanuel is E-M-M-A-N-U-E-L. And Monnier is a M-O-U-N-I-E-R. A good Dutch man. Uh, he's a French philosopher from the 1930s. He wrote a little book called Personalism. Okay. And he basically just lays out what it is, like what it means, what it is, where it came from. It's not that he wouldn't claim it's the start of it. Actually, in the beginning, introductory chapter, he has like a brief history of the idea oh, going, all oh, the way very back, going all the way back to like the Greeks and the Romans and stuff like that. Uh, but if you're interested in it like I am, I can recommend that. It's a small little book called Personalism by Emmanuel Monnier. And uh, if you like small little books that are smart, then pick it up. Very good. Very good. good Thanks. Beach, good beach read. All right, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, We will see you next time on From the Center. Later. All right, see you soon.